grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Meals have meaning. Meals gather people together at the same time, regardless of how any individual spent the previous hours. Meals bring people together at the same place, no matter what or where or when or what they were doing beforehand. Meals provide everybody the same food to nourish and enjoy. Meals can be, then, more than required and or desired food at a scheduled time and specific place. They can feed relationships. They can remember life-changing events. In our American culture, though, meals have lost significance. Not all meals. Some still hang on, <laughs> if barely, like Thanksgiving. Others remain celebrated milestones, like the wedding reception. And yet, the number and variety of fast food locations reveal that meals, more or less, have been replaced by food on the go to get you right back to whatever you wanted to be busy with instead. My family, too, we enjoy a meal at Five Guys or Texas Roadhouse every so often. And yet, even when we sit down and talk and laugh, I can still sense a timer counting down, at the end of which the table needs to be cleared for another customer. The Lord also understood the significance meals could carry. And in the book of Exodus, at the beginning of Israel's identity as a nation, and their lives as his covenant people, the Lord prepared two meals that they would celebrate, they would remember through the centuries. The first one was Passover, when the Lord instructed his people to take a lamb, one for each household, sacrifice the lamb at twilight, and then paint its blood over the doorway of the houses or the locations wherever they were at, and that would signal the angel of death to pass over that house, that location, and leave those inside alive and safe. It was their last meal in Egypt before God would lead them out of their escape from oppressive slavery to the promised land. The second meal occurred at Mount Sinai about a couple months later, after the Lord had delivered Israel out of Egypt, drowned Pharaoh's pursuing army in the Red Sea, and now declared a covenant with the Israelites to be his people. And to ratify that covenant, the Lord held a fellowship meal with the leaders, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel as representatives. So again, after animals for burnt offerings were sacrificed and their blood, once again to use blood, was sprinkled on the altar just made for this meal and over the people, also the leaders, while the leaders then sat down to enjoy a meal with God himself. They saw God and they ate and drank. Do you see, those meals created identity and brought unity. 
Those meals provided safety and promised blessing. In that culture, with that history, six days before the Passover, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. (laughs) To say that this was a big deal doesn't cut it. The timing of the Passover. After three, three and a half years of Jesus' ministry and work, his life as the Lamb of God, the Good Shepherd, not to mention the location of this dinner at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So much personal meaning with Jesus' life and work. So many shared experiences as God's people. So many eyewitness memories of those there were culminating, were coming together at this one meal. And yet, on top of all of that, another layer of deeper truth, fulfilling prophecy, was added. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You could imagine Martha serving, the guests talking, everybody enjoying the meal. But once that fragrance filled the house, it'd make people stop. It'd make them wonder what had just happened. Not the way that people jerked their heads toward the direction of dishes crashing to the floor in a restaurant, but they would want to know why so rich a scent, fragrance, overwhelmed, overpowered the delicious aroma of all the food around them. But the beauty of that moment was lost at least on one individual. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages, regardless of the accuracy of his accounting. He was probably telling the truth, at least in the ballpark of that perfume's estimated value. Judas crashed that celebration in the worst horrible way. In effect, he said, that perfume was totally wasted on Jesus. And come to think of it, how could Jesus ever accept such extravagance, such selfishness and carelessness? It was far more than disruptive or disrespectful to the host of the dinner or to the owner of that perfume or even to the guest of honor. In one comment, Judas turned a meal of fellowship among believers and of worship of the Lord, both God in heaven and his son right there in the house with them. Judas turned that meal into a self-righteous rebuke that divided and disgraced everybody else there except Judas. But that's sin for you. It will never be happy with someone else being honored. Sin will never, ever be satisfied unless it gets its way. Sin will always grumble that it knows better. It does better than God could ever possibly figure out. And eventually, it has to say something about it because who else could compare? Who else would care enough? However, in all that self-centeredness, sin conveniently leaves out the fact what really happens is 
Sin exists and then dies alone because sin always separates. It separates truth from love. It separates one person from another until ultimately sin separates a person's soul right from their body. With sin, nothing stays together. The Savior, though, was not going to allow sin to deny the truth of his identity or to devalue the fulfillment of his work. What that dinner that night remembered. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. For Jesus, though, who just brought up his burial, alluded to his death, that Passover, yet again. This fellowship meal in his honor, the sweet aroma in the house, they weren't given in his honor alone. It was also in his Father's name, to God's glory, who would soon hand a cup of suffering to his son Jesus to fully empty to shed his innocent holy blood on a cross to the last drop necessary so he would save us all from all our sin. With this meal six days before Passover and then during his last supper on the Passover, Jesus was the living proof that he alone could and would bring back together God his Father and the sinful world by having him forsaken by God and by having his soul ripped away, separated from his body on that cross. Above all that week, Jesus was celebrating that everlasting reconciliation. And so fellow believers, when you and I gather come together at God's house, such as tonight. We gather to worship him, to receive his forgiveness, to grow in our faith and knowledge, of course, and God gives us blessings like those, but what binds together all that he gives is that God calls himself our father, and he calls each of us his child. People, not, people now who bear his holy name through baptism and live in his goodness. God shares with us his identity and unites us in his grace. And so, fellow believers, when we come together as God's church at any other time, in any other place, we enjoy the privilege to serve one another and or anyone in the moment right before us. We take each other's burdens. We share with each other our joys as well as our challenges. You and I can be there for each other with a selflessness, a trustworthiness, because the Spirit of the Lord each day is changing us into his likeness. In that fullness of Christ, 
you and I are Christian family. Amen. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, who had died, the one Jesus raised from the dead. They gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about 12 ounces of very expensive perfume, pure nard, and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was going to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He held the money box and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She intended to keep this for the day of my burial. Indeed, the poor you always have with you, but you are not always going to have me. A large crowd of the Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus too, because it was on account of him that many of the Jews were leaving them and believing in Jesus. Jesus. 